Good morning and welcome. Welcome to a priest and a rabbi on our podcast here in another sunny day in South Florida. It is um, it is my pleasure. I'm actually really excited this morning. We, um, we have a very special guest, uh, a very close friend, dear colleague of mine, Rabbi Eric Linder out of Athens, Georgia. And we're going to discuss today the oftentimes controversial topic of vaccination. Do we deserve to get them? Do we have the right to opt out of it? What is the religious understanding? And uh, you know, what do our faith leaders um, say in support or um, out of support of it? Uh, kind of looking at what are religious exemptions and who has the right for them? And what does that mean in terms of the new world and the new reality that we find ourselves in being a world um, in a pandemic and certainly as we look to the future of a post-pandemic, post um COVID world that we find ourselves. So uh, I'm, I'm super excited. We, uh, we, 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 we don't have the largest budget here, but we did have the opportunity to fly in Rabbi Linder via Zoom Airlines. So it is wonderful uh, to welcome Rabbi Linder uh, here to our program this morning. Rabbi Linder, welcome. And uh, uh, welcome back. Welcome back. Thank you so much. The accommodations on the flight were amazing. Uh, okay. uh, thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, yeah, it, it'll be wonderful to, to speak with you about what Judaism says about religious exemptions and talking about uh, the possible tension in Reform Judaism between individual autonomy and communal responsibility and to have some fun along the way. Thanks Absolutely. Absolutely. So tune in, listen. We take comments seriously. Give us your feedback. But again, uh, on behalf of a priest and a rabbi, enjoy this week's episode. WSTU, since they probably regretted over allowing the show on the air in the first place. Nor do they represent Temple Beit Hayam or St. Mary's Episcopal Church, since they also wonder what the heck they did when they called these two men to lead their respective congregations. On that note, sit back, relax, grab your Bible or Torah, and enjoy another episode of A Priest and a Rabbi. Good morning, Stuart, Florida. Welcome. Welcome to yet another episode of A Priest and a Rabbi. Just trying to get our volume all corrected here. Good morning to, well, I guess this morning would be two rabbis and a, and a, and a priest. And unfortunately, Father Anderson is out today, but just wanted to welcome all of our listeners and all who are joining us today. Uh, we have a very special program, um, and I'm super excited. One quick second here. There we go. Um, I, I'm super excited for today. Today is uh, not only is it is it is it October, and obviously it is still swelteringly hot here down in Florida. But we also have, I have a very special guest, a very, very, very close and dear friend, uh, one who's been on a program before, uh, but it is, um, it is something that uh, um, 
you know, as I start thinking about our special guest, um, all of what we've been doing for the last 158 episodes, give or take, have largely been through the inspiration and the uh, just just the brainchild of my dear friend Rabbi Eric Linder. Um, and I'll go into that in just, just a moment, but I just want to introduce him. So Rabbi Eric Linder is a teacher, he is a student, he is a connector. Uh, he became the rabbi at Congregation Children of Israel in Athens, Georgia in 2012. Uh, before then, he had served um, in a congregation in Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, rabbi Linder was born and raised in Plantation, Florida. He developed a love for Judaism after only his parents bribed him with $20 to go to a youth group conclave. Uh, that obviously inspired and enriched his love of the Jewish people and of community. Uh, he likens this to God's call to Abraham, which we read last week in our Torah portion of Parshat Lech Lecha, meaning to go forth. Uh, Rabbi Linder sings, plays, prays, and makes friends in Jewish summer camps. You are J. Camp Coleman, an hour and a half north of Atlanta. He realized the power of Jewish community. He believes strongly that the Torah can be a vehicle for personal growth as it calls each and every one of us uh, into uh, to bring it into our lives. He brings passion for music, movies, and technology to his rabbinate, helping making Judaism relevant and accessible. He is also the very proud father of Aaron, a uh, uh, little toddler boy who probably keeps him and his wife very busy all, all day. <laughs> so it is with great pleasure that we welcome Rabbi Eric Linder. Welcome. Oh, thank you. It's wonderful to see you and to uh, be a guest on the show again and talk and learn with you. So, so yeah, just to start off, because um, I, th I think it's important for our listeners to understand, uh, all of this, uh, you know, the contact that I've had with Father Anderson and this radio program and this radio show was really all under the uh, um, uh, impression that you gave to me, um, I think it was almost about four years ago. Um, four years ago, we both were on faculty at URJ, the Union for Reform Judaism Summer Camp, Camp Coleman in Cleveland, Georgia. Um, and, and you had done a, a radio slash podcast. And I don't think it was radio. I think it was a podcast. You yep. did with an Episcopal priest, and you entitled your podcast, God in the Grid. And, you know, uh, my wife and I and our kids, uh, as we drove uh, from Cleveland, Georgia, all the way down to, 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 to Florida, uh, we listened to your podcast uh, and just listened to episode after episode after episode. And I was really moved um, just by your ability to have those close connections with other different faiths and other clergy uh, leaders um, in a fun and a uh, just in, engaging and energetic way um, and really inspired. So Father Anderson called and asked if we wanted to get together and we developed this relationship uh, in the back of my mind was always this podcast that you had done. I thought it was um, absolutely brilliant. So, you know, Rabbi Linder, from, from you, just to kind of start off the conversation in terms of, you know, how did you come about? And I know you have your own podcast now that you're, you're, you're doing now. Um, where did all of this come from for you? I mean, where was your passion with interfaith dialogue? How did that manifest itself? No, I think, first of all, thank you so much. And, and as, as I joked with you privately of what we talked a few days ago, you know, God in the Grit, I think, had maybe nine or ten episodes. And Rabbi Durbin's going 
strong after what three years is that, uh -huh. is that which yeah. is amazing and now um if i may do a short plug um my new my newer podcast is called religion r-e-a-l-i-g-i-o-n you can find it anywhere uh, and it's with a very dear friend of mine um who was in athens and now is in maryland uh, a presbyterian reverend uh, Reverend Joel Tolbert, and we have, uh, similar to my friend uh, Craig Topple, who was with God in the Grit, I think we have fun banter, and the idea is to make religion real and relevant. Hmm. Um, but, you know, I, to answer your question, uh, I, I think I've always had, uh, or I always put an importance on diversity and learning from people different than you. I grew up in public schools. My mom was a public school teacher her entire career. So I kind of grew up with that in the ether, so to speak, of you know being in community of people that are different, and that's always been important. Mm. And then when I when I went to the University of Florida, I'm now a complete Georgia fan. I'm a I'm 100% a turncoat, but um, I was an RA, a resident advisor, and um, diversity is one of the main principles of being an RA in colleges and, and understanding of people from different faiths and backgrounds and gender identities, you know, all of it. And so coming into the rabbinate, um, and even before I wanted to be a rabbi, but I've always felt, and I still do, that my understanding and my identity of Judaism is strengthened, broadened, and appreciated by learning from others who are not Jewish and may even mm -hmm. have completely different views than I do. Hmm. Um, and so, and I've made wonderful, as you have, I've made wonderful friends and colleagues in that process. Hmm. It's amazing. You know, when we look, when we look at that issue of, of religion, for example, in terms of, you know, how not only, you know, our nation understands it, um, and clearly there have been a lot of challenges most recently, given the situation that we find ourselves in, obviously, with this pandemic, and, and, and the understanding of the potential for religious exemptions, um, you know, in, 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 in your mind, you know, what does that mean? I mean, what, is, what does religious exemptions mean? Um, is it something that as clergy or religious leaders that maybe we've invented or tried to put <laughs> a stumbling block before us in terms of, you know, what we want or what may be comfortable for us? You know, I, how do you see that in, in today's world? Yeah, and that's a great callback to the line from Leviticus of not putting a stumbling block before the blind. I may, I may use that. Um, you know, I think some of it, just to kind of pull back a little bit, I, I think some of it is this commoditization. Did I say that word? Commo whatever. <laughs> you know, of religion, where people, especially in liberal branches of religion, and I, I certainly don't mean po politically liberal. I mean, um, you know, like we are part of Reformed Judaism, you and I, which of, of course is, is a liberal branch of Judaism, where we conflate our what I want and what I believe as my own individual self as against what the community believes or what Jewish law believes. And those two are not always the same. And whereas I, I mean, I am 100% pro-vaccination. I'm the only person I know that got Johnson & Johnson. And of course, boosters were just approved, I think, yesterday. I'm very excited to get one, especially as, with the toddler in the house. And you, know, you have three children in the house. Um, so I, you know, my, my personal sentiment is, of course, getting vaccinated. Uh, but I do also believe 
Uh, and I think I'd like to believe with intellectual, intellectual integrity that the concept of a religious exemption, certainly from the standpoint of Judaism, to a vaccine that saves lives just doesn't exist. You may have your own, one may have their own personal reasons, but don't conflate that with Judaism. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I think that is a very dangerous, slippery slope. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, Judaism uh, places a huge priority on what we, we call pikuach nefesh, the saving of life. And that, of course, isn't just the saving of your own life, although that is absolutely important, which is where we get things like self-defense. Like, God forbid, someone comes into your home. You are allowed, Jewishly, to protect yourself at actually almost any cost. Um, but it also means the saving of other lives. And so mm -hmm. as a rabbi, whether I'm vaccinated or not is irrelevant. I, I don't see, uh, again, I am, uh, but I don't see how Judaism can be used as kind of this proof text, so to speak, to not be vaccinated. But, but in terms of, you know, what would the argument be in terms of not vaccinated, in terms from a Jewish perspective? Is it the injection of a foreign body into our own that has been made by science or by man? Is it because it was not, you know, God gave us whatever it may have been, insight, knowledge? You know, I, I, I'm always reminded, as I'm sure you are, um, of, of a very, um, and I'll take a little poetic license here, uh, of a beautiful midrash that has the understanding of a man walking by the river and seeing a man drowning on Shabbat, right? And of course, the argument that the, that the man uses is, if I, if I save this man, I am violating the laws of Shabbat. And of course, when he goes back to the rabbi and explains the case, you know, the rabbi effectively says one of two things, either you're the world's smartest individual or you're the world's biggest fool. Um, and of course, he did not save the man, the man drowned and ultimately came back and said, well, of course, I could not violate the laws of Shabbat. And, and, and just for our listeners to be aware, right, the laws of Shabbat are very important. They're very ambiguous in the Torah. It is a blanket statement to which we have the ability to gain insight on what that means for us, right? What does it mean not to work? What does it mean to have a day of, of complete no rest? And, and, you know, in that Midrash, there's something really powerful, which says there are some times that you have to deviate from the letter of the law in order to save a life, right? It's the same that we use on Yom Kippur, right? For those that are able to fast, we encourage you to fast. For those that are diabetic, those that have health issues or health concerns, you absolutely do not fast. And maybe that's the understanding too in, in a religious context in some way, especially when it comes to Yom Kippur, is, you know, when we look at from the line from Isaiah that says, ultimately, what is this fast that God requires of you? Why do we assume that it must be food, right? We could deny ourselves something else. And for those that perhaps cannot fast, we deny something else. And I think in that context, there's something that says for us to be aware that there is a bigger world out there than just us, right? That, 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 you know, as I'm sure you're aware and I'm sure you've used before, right, the, the impactful kind of verses that say, you know, everyone shall have two pieces of paper in their pockets, right? I am but dust and ashes, and the world was created for my sake, right? And there's something really powerful about that to be able to say, you know, how can we best safeguard ourselves and others in our communities um, in a way that is, 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 is meaningful and is viable? Um, 
you know, and I think I think part of the challenge in some way is, is there enough data? Is there enough research? You know, we, we, we don't know. But what we do know is that as a community, the only thing that we can do is safeguard those who come into our building in a safe and, and you know, a, a careful way. Um, you know, when we look biblically and we look throughout our tradition, I mean, there are there are many, many, many examples in our tradition of, you know, the ability to look beyond ourselves, that, that, that it's not really just about us. You know, I say it to my board every single month, right, with board meetings, that ultimately it's not about you or me or all of us. It's about all of us together serving all the needs of all of the members or even those of our guests who come in to join us. Right. So, you know, I guess I guess and a lot of this is precipitated based on, you know, the article and 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 uh, certain, you know, rabbi who had said, I'm giving religious exemptions for those who wish to not take the vaccine. Um, and, I, and I know when I read this and of course, as we well, are well aware, there are always two sides to every coin. And I get that um, from but what I've read and what I've seen um, has been really damaging. Uh, damaging, I think, to the Jewish people, I think damaging to um, the rabbinate, damaging to our own profession in terms of, you know, it's like in some way that, you know, the ones who put this forward do not speak for me as a rabbi, do not speak for Judaism. And and I think we need to separate the personal from the collective. Um, So I'd I'd love to hear your thoughts on, you know, the challenges and, and, and stuff that we're, you know, we've been facing. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to believe we're in year two now of this. And, you know, I mean, I, I, I try to be aware, you know, sometimes I think clergy, not just rabbis, but clergy think that we're in a little bubble. And it's like, we're, you know, almost this, you know, clergy is this unique role and profession above all others. And, you know, I, I do think it is a unique uh, vocation and certainly a unique calling. And I also think that almost anyone who has a job has been struggling in some way the last two years. One of the challenges, and again, not unique to us as clergy, but uh, is that religion is so dependent on people getting together. I mean, we used to joke in rabbinical school that, you know, how do you get people into the building for services? Feed the Jews, fill the pews. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we, we can't have our, what we call an oneg after Friday nights, where we have you know, uh, desserts and drinks and kind of, oh, another Yiddish word, I could have used this, schmooze, where you just hang out with one another. And I tell my congregation that that, the social element where people are just hanging out after the service is as important as the service. And -hmm. for two years, I mean, we've had, you know, now that we're back in the building, we're doing a hybrid model. We're in the building and there's probably about 10 people in the sanctuary spread out with masks. And then we're also on Zoom with, you know, sometimes between 50 and 25 screens. Um, And there is kind of hanging out afterwards, but it's not the same. Mm -hmm. And I I think that has been the biggest challenge, not being able to visit people. Not now, at least, you know, it's more safe to, you know, grab a coffee outside or a meal outside. Um, But, you know, everyone has their own boundaries that they've drawn to be safe. And, you know, we want to respect that. But yeah, that... (laughs) been incredibly challenging how how have how has your congregation um uh navigated through this this you know uncharted water and, and yeah how have you guys embraced it or what have been the challenges within your own community i mean 
you know, given your bio and everything else, I mean, you are exceptionally technologically savvy. So in terms of, you know, hybrid models, streaming services to members and to the community, as well as, you know, how, to, how is clergy, have, and especially within your own community, of trying to welcome people back with the understanding that if you're not yet comfortable coming back, we understand. Um, and, and, and I know we've seen the same in our community is sure, you know, pre-COVID sure. we would have X amount of numbers that would join us for Shabbat evening. Those numbers dwindled, obviously, and we're still trying to rebuild our community to bring it back. Uh, but it's been it, it's been challenging. It's been challenging. I However, mean, I think at, I think at this point our biggest challenge, and, it, and it's actually going so much better than it could because we have such a wonderful religious school director. Um, but is religious school. So right now we have a policy: everyone in the building has to be masked. Now I'm in my closed office right now. That's why I'm not masked. But if someone were to walk in, um, you know, I put my mask on. Um, and I, kids especially, I, I think, you know, that they're at schools where yeah, one county here has a mask mandate. There's different counties around Athens, Georgia. Um, but especially for the older kids, it, and sometimes we get, well, I'm, you know, some of the kids are, uh, have been vaccinated. And so, well, I've been vaccinated. I don't have to wear a mask. And it's like, well, y you do. And we, we totally recognize like, you know, like we don't want you to, but we, we kind of have to. And, you know, last year we saw a significant um, uh, growth of kids not enrolled in religious school. And I, I empathize with the families. I mean, this is not something I'm mad about. You know, families had to deal with their kids at home during doing kind of Zoom school. And then to do it on Wednesdays and Sundays and possibly kind of have fight with your, your children about it. Um, this year, numbers have gone up. Um, but I think the lack of, you know, we can't have assemblies. And we again, we can't have, bring in food for different holidays. That's been a big challenge. And then the other one, which thankfully has passed, and of course, I know you dealt with this too, was what to do on the high holidays of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, because those are our you know, I, I'm sure you're the you're, the priest would would relate with uh, Easter and Christmas of those kind of being the biggies when people are, are in the building, and we made the difficult decision to require uh, vaccinate proof of vaccination, and it was one of those interesting things where we planned for all these contingencies about well, what if someone gets really upset, and what if someone forgets their vax card but promises that they've been vaccinated. And I don't know if it was lucky or planning, probably a combination of both, but we had zero problems. Mm. Um, and, you know, we had a method in place where people could send their VAX cards early so they could kind of walk in as easily and quickly as possible. Um, now, our policy now is we don't require vaccinations, but like I said, masks in the building. Um, but did, yeah, you, I, did, you, did you find that, that you had any pushback with that? That's the thing is not, not really. And, and I think some of that is just Athens and our community um, and just kind of the makeup of Athens. You know, mo many of our congregants are affiliated with the University of Georgia to some degree. And so that brings about a certain mentality. Um, yeah, but I, I think the, the bigger challenge is more like now that we're kind of used to this and it's the new normal, like how how do we continue to adapt, be creative? And I, you know, I use this word a lot, but be relevant. I mean, mm -hmm. there's so many things vying for people's time. And I think, 
religion is another one of those. And when it's a little bit less personal because of Zoom or because of masks or whatever, I think it, it's easier for some to kind of let go of that piece a little bit. Mm -hmm. So um, um, I love the conversation. I think we're going to go a little bit deeper into that as we uh, go to break. When we come back, we'll we'll delve a little bit deeper into you know what what what, what is the human psyche regarding you know uh, uh, to embrace to not embrace you know is it is it is it predicated on is it predicated on fear has fear brought us to the point where we have this understanding that I don't know if I want it or there's not enough information or research, right? Um, and where does that come from? And really, what does our tradition say about it in terms of having to respect others' opinions um, and, and how we kind of move forward and how we as congregations, because I'm sure much like you, um, you know, our congregation, we're, we're tired. We are tired. We are tired of this new reality um, that we found ourselves in that really, whether if, 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 the, if, if the pandemic were to go away in an hour from now and be eradicated from this country, what would our communities look like as we go forward? And I think that there is something really powerful in some way of the fact that this pandemic in some way has brought us closer together and at the same time has divided us in a myriad of different ways, but have challenged us and challenged religious leaders, as you said, to be creative, to be uh, adapted, um, and to be able to pivot at, at any given moment, which we know through the course of our uh, profession um, is something that, that we just, we've had to endure. Um, so we're gonna take a few minutes now as we listen to those who support the show and uh, um, allow us the opportunity to be on the airwaves in uh, 62 different countries uh, and all over the world. So we'll take a few moments and take a quick break. Hey everyone, it's Evan Nine, producer of A Priest and a Rabbi. Thank you for tuning in and being part of this community. We love developing new partnerships with this podcast to help further the interfaith movement. To join us, please email Father Christian at yourfavoritechristian at gmail.com. You can have an advertisement right here on this podcast, which is currently heard across the USA and in 34 other countries. Thanks for being here, and do not forget to subscribe on whichever podcast platform you're listening from. Now back to A Priest and a Rabbi. Welcome back to the award-winning Priest and a Rabbi radio show with Father Christian and Rabbi Durbin. Let's get ready for the second half of the show. Welcome back, Stuart, Florida. Welcome back to uh, to a Priest and a Rabbi. Today we are two rabbis, kind of, uh, I'll throw another Yiddish word out there, two rabbis kibitzing uh, about, um, you know, the current situation and how our communities have adapted and really what are the challenges, right? The challenges of those who decide that uh, perhaps the vaccination is not in the cards and looking for religious exemptions, which we know um, have been uh, around uh, most recently. And, you know, kind of looking at the at the um, spiritual side of it and the religious side of it that says, is it is it permissible? Um, is it is it even possible for our religious leaders to call on our members who are not yet comfortable to get the vaccine to be able to exempt them from it? 
uh, based on our traditions. Um, so again, uh, you know, it's with great joy that we welcome back Rabbi Eric Linder out of Athens, Georgia, uh, native of Florida, um, and a just a, a, like a personal great friend of mine. Um, you know, as as I mentioned to my, uh, others on the on the program, I speak to Father Anderson. Uh, not only for an hour every single week on this radio show, but an hour uh, before to, to go over stuff, right? So I speak with Father Anderson more than I speak with my own wife, uh, and I speak with Rabbi Linder, uh, you know, a couple times every single week. Uh, we are constantly in contact, um, so, you know, if you add them all together, that is my, uh, that's my spiritual spouse. So um, it is great to have you back, uh, and really, it's it's been a while since we've had the opportunity to actually see one another, Um but it is uh, it is wonderful to to have and you. That, and that's been you know when we talk about challenges. So two years ago, Camp Coleman, um, which you know as you mentioned, it so Camp Coleman is a camp that is run by the Reform Movement, our denomination of Judaism, and it's the it's kind of our regional camp in the southeast. And two years ago, it there was no camp, and so yes, I mean that certainly, you know, Matt and I weren't able to see each other and work with kids, but. It, which was sad, but the real tragedy is hundreds of kids don't get this experience to strengthen their Jewish identity. And I imagine that this happened for camps of other religions and other denominations. And, you know, so when we talk about challenges, I mean, that was a real palpable loss. Um, and last year there was camp with limitations, but because of those limitations, you and I weren't able to go, but God willing next year, next year in Cleveland, Georgia. Absolutely. And I think that that's something too, that I think I think sometimes we lose sight of, and, and, and in some way, I, look, I'm not mitigating or, or, or negating the situation that we find ourselves in, but at the same time, and I tell this to my children often, <laughs> is you're living through written history right now, that when you, God willing, when our kids are older and they're blessed with children of their own, when they're in school, they will be reading about, as many of us did in our own childhood, of learning about the, the Spanish flu pandemic. Um, you know, 103 years ago of being able to, 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 to live through it. Um, and I think that there are times, I know personally and professionally, um, it has made me really sad when I see that over almost now for almost two years, that in some way my kids have been robbed of their childhood, right? Yeah. Um, and I'm sure you've probably seen it with your son because, you know, your son is a, you know, for lack of a better term, you've got a COVID son, right? Your son was born during COVID. And, and, and we see it even with our preschool of a lot of those kids that are born now or born during the pandemic, does that mean that there may be some social challenges that we're faced with? Because we, 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 we have lost the ability to interact in some way with others in our community. And, and only now are we slowly reeling it back in. But of course, we still know that there are many, whether they've been vaccinated and are healthy, that just are not yet comfortable to be amongst crowds. And as you aptly put it, right, some of the greatest challenges that we face, especially in a, in a, in a Jewish context, was, was our high holy days. What do we do? And of course, much like many, as you did, right, we hybrid. We had it streamed for those who were not able. We limited in some way to those that had access to the temple because we were also anxious and nervous, right? And, and it's, a, it's a difficult and it's a volatile time right now but I think, you know, as you know, as I know, and certainly our tradition teaches us, um, you know, and, and in no way am I trying to make light of a situation, but, you know, our tradition also teaches us, and this too shall pass, right? As is said so often in the Bible, right? And it came to pass, and it came to pass. And I think that we will see a time where it will pass. Of course, the, the lasting effect 
and the challenges, especially for those who have lost loved ones during and for this pandemic has been very painful and very difficult. But I think when we look, and I think that that's something that Judaism really is, is, is impactful with, is to be able to look not only to our past, but also to our future. Where are we and where will we be? And I think that there's something really beautiful about this understanding that as a community, we're not in it in isolation. We're in it together. And yeah, you, I, I'm going to quote another of our uh, good friends now, uh, Rabbi Howie Goldsmith, uh, who's in New York. I was talking to him when the pandemic started. He's, uh, he's also fairly uh, technically proficient. We were comparing kind of Zoom best practices. And this is when, you know, every week it seemed like Zoom had a new update or a new feature and, and he would be right on top of that. But we talked about, you know, have you done your, your first Zoom bar mitzvah yet or your first Zoom funeral? And after the first few months, he said to me, he said, you know what? I don't call it that anymore. It's a bar mitzvah. And for 4,000 years, Jews have adopted to all sorts of living conditions, history, persecution, hiding Bibles, hiding Torahs in secular books so that we could, um, you know, we could follow our rituals and holidays. And this is, is a continuation of that. And so, you know, one of the things, and I'm sure you did this also, is, you know, we did have a number of B'nai Mitzvah, Bar Bat Mitzvahs during COVID. And, you know, of course, it's not the same as a, quote, normal Bar Bat Mitzvah, where there's 150 people in the sanctuary and a big party. But I really tried with the kids to get them to maybe flip it and to think it's even more special. Because during this difficult time, they're, they're still making this commitment. And so it's not less than, in some ways, it's more than. Yeah, um, and, and I love what you said, because I think that there's something really just amazing there. Look, for our kids who are becoming Barba Mitzvah now, and even during the pandemic, it's something that the next generation, God willing, will never have to under, uh, undergo, right? To be able to say, oh, I remember when I became Barba Mitzvah 25 years ago, you know, we had to do it via Zoom, or it was limited, or, you know, I couldn't have it. Uh, you know, to go back on the initial conversation about exemptions, you know, the challenge with exemptions, especially for a vaccine, and I certainly am a huge proponent of get the vaccine, right? And I, I although I am a little bit, and I, and I say that a little bit compassionate for those who may have allergic reactions or have issues medically with the vaccine itself, I understand that. But then there are other safe guarding measures that we can do. Regarding the exemptions, the only exemption that as a rabbi I would do, and I have done, is for those students who became or underwent bar mitzvah training, and they had to cancel their bar mitzvah or bar mitzvah on that date, reschedule, say, six, seven, eight, maybe even a year later, and the Torah portion is yes. different. So what do we do there? We honor the fact that they put in all that work and still do that Torah portion, although it may be obviously a different Torah portion for the week. But of course, we inform the community that we're not going to make our children do an entirely new portion that they've worked so hard for, which is very different than a parent saying, I just don't like the tone of the Torah portion or, you know, this date's better for me after they've already been working. Right. We can't really do that. But something like. Absolutely. And I, I want to follow up on something you said about, you know, that both of us are pro get the vaccine. I also am the first person to say, first of all, I'm not a doctor. Uh, you know, I, I, I've read 
some medical literature and I'd like to consider myself, you know, a, a late, you know, a somewhat intelligent layperson. But, you know, the, the vaccines are a moving target. It's not like an X and O. And there have been confusions. And, you know, I think the more that one studies science, the more one realizes it, it, it's not always so simple. But that is very different. And so my point in saying that is I, I too, have an empathy and understanding when someone says, well, we just don't know, or there hasn't been enough time. I don't agree with it, but I, but I empathize with it. But mm. that is very different than saying Judaism allows exemption. If you, in your personal integrity and identity, don't want to have the vaccine, don't believe in the vaccine, that is your decision. But don't say that Judaism allows that, because in my, in, in, Everything I know about Judaism, and of course, there is always the, the possibility of, of being wrong or, or learning something new that can change my mind, but nothing about my understanding of Judaism would allow a, quote, religious exemption to a vaccine that is mostly agreed upon. And, and, and I think that that's, I, I mean, I think it's an important, it, it's very important, right? Even when we come out and, and and as others had said, you know, in the name of Judaism, Judaism says X, Y, and Z. I think it's important for us to recognize there are many different streams of Judaism. There are many different interpretations because, of course, you know, when, look, my biggest pet peeve is when somebody says, you know, as I'm sure they say to you, Rabbi, I'm not religious. Well, you know, my 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 response to that is, as a Jewish people, we by nature are a religious people. It may be about our observancy. And I think, I think, I, I, as you, as you rightfully said, look, from my understanding, um, and look, I, 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 I do not profess to know everything about Judaism. I just happen to study more than the average Jewish person and have a little bit more depth and breadth of, of Judaic knowledge. And, and I really struggle with the exemption because a part of me says, my understanding of Judaism would say, absolutely not. There are no exemptions. However, I do understand that you know, from an exemption perspective or where we find ourselves is that the vaccine is not God-given. It wasn't inspired by God. It was created by human beings. However, I do also subscribe to the fact that God gave us free will and choice. And as such, God endowed us with um, um, intellect, innovation, the ability to create. Um, you know, we have we have illnesses and diseases that are no longer around because we eradicated them through the advent of vaccinations and different medicines. And I'm not saying it's the end all and be all and that it, this is the, the saving grace, but I am saying in some way that through our own human intellect, we have been able to give these um, opportunities credence and authority. Um, and I think that, you know, I, and I really struggled. I mean, I, when I read the article last week, and I was, I, I, I mean, I'll be honest here, and I know we're on live radio, um, my heart sank, and I was sickened. And a part of me said, I can't believe that you, of all people, could say in the name of Judaism, or Judaism says, and, 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 and I want our listeners to be aware, Judaism is interpretive. There are always, and we can look back to, you know, the, the, the giants of the Talmud who would always argue, right? Argumentation is part of our nature. And I understand the arguments and the abilities, 
but a part of me says that argumentation is also done with uh, a great deal of mutual respect for one another. And I find that today's tone and today's actions are uh, viscerally, uh, you know, on polar opposites. And I think that there's something there that says, how do we go back and bring back the compassion, the understanding, right? The need to understand that it's not about me. You know, I know, you know, many of my community have heard, you know, I was, I was lucky early on when I contracted the virus. I had muscle aches. I had um, loss of taste and smell. I mean, I had those, those symptoms, but I got off lucky. I was, very, I was very lucky with it. When that result came back and came back positive, my whole, I have never had this experience before in my life. My body was in shock. And it wasn't about me. It wasn't about my children. It wasn't about my wife. I was so terribly fearful of the people that I have come into contact with that God forbid that they get infected because of me. And, and I mean, it was many sleepless nights. It was many phone calls and really like almost jotting down. I, I met with so-and-so. I met with so-and-so. have to call them and say, I tested positive. Please be aware. And, and, and I think that lesson of humility was something that really opened my eyes really to that statement that said, you know, the world was not created for my sake that I am part of a larger microcosm of people that come together to be able to say whatever I can do to be able to help secure your health as well as my own. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I think of um, the Israeli rock song, you and I can change the world, not just you and not just me, but together. And that idea of I don't wear a mask for my health, I wear it for your health. And then hopefully vice versa. It really brings to mind again, if I can use one more kind of Hebrew, I'm using everything I've learned in rabbinical school today, Matt. Um, <laughs> that each Jew, each Israelite is responsible for the other. And of course, we, you know, export that out to each human being is responsible for the other. And uh, and therefore doing things not just because I am comfortable with them or because I want them, but because God willing, it is, that is better for the greater, the greater whole, even if it means being a little uncomfortable wearing a mask or, you know, sacrificing, you know, social outings and that, that sort of thing. But every person in every family has to find that line for themselves. Hmm. And I, as a well, first of all, as a human being, but also as a rabbi of congregants, I want to respect it. I mean, we we saw, you know, we, uh, Matt and I are part of a, a, an organization called the CCAR, Central Conference of American Rabbis, which is all the reform uh, rabbis in North America. And and there's a Facebook group, uh, because of course there is. And I someone posted something that they were upset, and I may be paraphrasing this and getting this, you know, a little bit incorrect, but one of their congregants went to a football game and they were really disappointed and upset with that congregant. And, you know, at a certain point, I feel like we, you know, people are going to make their own choices. And, you know, we have our policies in our sanctuary and people certainly need to follow those. But outside of the sanctuary, people can do what they want to do. It may not be my choice, but, um, you know, it's kind of like the idea of, you know, get, get upset about the things you can change and kind of try and let go of the things you can't sort of thing. And it's difficult because in some way, when we hear those experiences from others, you know, it goes to that large, very umbrella terminology of judgment. 
I'm, I'm, I'm casting judgment on somebody else. Yes. You know, I'm, as, as, as you threw out, um, obviously, a very uh, impactful and important uh, you know, phrase in our tradition, uh, I'll throw another one um, from Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, who said, few are guilty, but all are responsible. And I think that when I think about especially that phrase, you know, I, I do have the ability in some small measure to change the destiny of my world and the world that I interact with. And I think that that sometimes we lose sight. And in some way, I think we become very um, um, selfish, that it's that it's only about me. Right. I don't like wearing a mask. I don't like doing X, Y or Z. But a part of me that also says, is it really about me? And then for those, I, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry, I don't want to interrupt you. It's your show. I think I, I think I think for 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 some, and I definitely get it. Uh, you know, to wear a mask for you know, but it's not an extended. It's not nine hours. We're on a Friday night, we're an hour. We're an hour. We also keep our sanctuary at a very cool 41 degrees. Um, joking a little bit, we do keep it uh, relatively cool. But a part of me says, if it's uncomfortable, and we understand. I mean, I think that that's the big thing too for people to understand is that. As clergy and as leaders of our communities, we understand the challenges that are faced before us, right? I'm not, you know, I, I'm not deaf to their pleas. I, I, I certainly want to be able to, to, to adapt and to accommodate, but yet at the same time, I need to also be very cautious of, you know, guests who come through our building, right? We don't require vaccination cards. Um, we go on, you know, in some way, the honor system to say, Please wear a mask, whether you've been vaccinated. We hope that you have been vaccinated as you come into our building. If you haven't, you know, we have the ability, watch us online, stream us, right? Ways that we can really be interactive and 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 forge community. But it's been it's been it's been difficult. It's been difficult. And what what I what I was was gonna say is that it I think it's interesting for us specifically, you know, you mentioned different streams of Judaism. But specifically as Reformed Jews, because Reformed Judaism has a tension here, because on the one hand, we are all about individual choice. And this is one, and this is one of our catchphrases. We say that Reformed Judaism is about choice through knowledge, meaning that you as an individual can make your own decisions regarding Judaism. There's mm -hmm. no fiat from above. Nothing that matter I say can quote unquote make you do anything. We're not, the, we're not like the Pope in that respect where the Pope mm -hmm. says something and then, you know, the priests and the congregations have to follow it. And on the other hand, as we've both been talking about, we also value communal responsibility and the concept in Judaism of a minion, that there's a power in community that an individual doesn't have. The whole is greater than the sum of its parts. And mm -hmm. we really do embody this tension. Mm. And, and I, I love what you said too, which is, you know, um, um, and, and, and I, I wish we had Father Anderson here because, you know, there is something that we've, we've entertained the, the, the understanding between blind faith and informed faith. And as Reformed Jews, we certainly, firmly, we don't believe in blind faith. What we do believe is the ability of making informed Jewish choices based on knowledge, right? What is out there, what is presented to us, right, is the same thing, you know, in some way politically, right? Who do we vote for? Well, you know, find those political leaders that subscribe to your own values and ethics that are important to you, right? I mean, I know for me, I look for those who are supportive for Israel, uh, for those who, you know, share the same values that I do, right? I believe in community. I believe in individuality. I believe in making our own choices. 
But at the same time, I also believe that whatever choice we make, as I'm sure, as I know you believe too, whatever choice I make is a ripple effect. It's going to affect others. And how we affect others goes back to that line and that understanding of great compassion and great care. Um, and I think that that our country and our nation is at a, we're at a crossroads in some way. Of, and, you know, we could go one way and we could certainly go the other way. Um, and of course, I'm, I'm hoping and praying that our nation <clears throat> brings its way back to the fold of saying it is about unity, not disunity. It's about being together and being united, uh, not being torn apart. And I think that, you know, above and beyond the challenges that we face with, do I get vaccinated? Do I not get vaccinated? I think that there's, a, that there's an overarching theme there that really is about uh, the loss of civility, right? That understanding that says, look, if one, if one chooses not to, um, I'm not casting judgment, or at least I should not cast judgment. I want to learn. I want to learn from you. Why? And I'm not trying to convince you. I'm not trying to say you're a bad person for not being. A partner says, I, just, I want to learn. I want to understand what your thought process is. And on the converse, the, the, the understanding that I hope that you would understand where my perspective comes in and have a healthy dialogue and a healthy debate. And I think today, in today's really straight, you know, challenged and strained world, really says, my opinion is the only opinion. And I don't really care what, you know, what you have to say or even honor it or even, you know, if I offend you, oh, sorry. Yep, absolutely. So, so you know, Rabbi Linder, I know we only have a few minutes, but as we look towards the future, how do we use that in the future in terms of, you know, what is our role going forward? in terms of um, that ability of civility, of, of, of graciousness, of, of, of really, you know, being able to be attentive to others' needs? Well, I think, I mean, th this is one of those stories that's very uh, repeated in Reformed Judaism, but I think it's because it's so powerful. And that's, of course, the story um, with, uh, between Rabbi Hillel and Shammai. I, I like to joke with students that you know, the rabbis of the first century in the Talmud are like superheroes that they all have a nemesis, but it, they're not necessarily an evil enemy, but they're someone that just disagreed with them about everything, right? Like, like a sibling. <laughs> and, you know, the law usually goes according to Rabbi Hillel. And the Talmud gets into this. Well, why? Was he smarter? Like what made him so much better? And no, he wasn't necessarily smarter. As a matter of fact, there are arguments where Shammai has the sharper logical mind. But ultimately, it comes down to Hillel, two things. One is that Hillel had a nicer demeanor in, able, in his ability to communicate gently and humanely. But that also he learned, and here's another, this is a good Hebrew one uh, for, for listeners. Of course, I know you, you know this, Matt. Um, an argument, Bashem Shemayim. This idea of having an argument or a discussion in the name or for the sake of God or for the sake of heaven, meaning... You don't argue to be right. You don't argue to prove a point. You argue to learn. And if, if we could flip, and myself included, I mean, how many arguments do we get in with our spouse or our kids or our closest friends where you just want to hammer home your points and get them to agree with you? But if we could flip the script where it is genuinely an argument, you can still argue heatedly and passionately, but 
with the notion of coming away with something new that you learn from the person, even if you still vehemently disagree. It doesn't mean we all have to agree. And let's not, you know, it's important not to conflate that. So I, I, I certainly try to live by that, not always successfully by any means, but I, I, I think that is one, one of the ways that we can achieve that lofty goal. Yeah, lovely. Awesome. So and maybe that's the message for today, right, is in some way, let us try as best we can in some way, and I know that it's easier said than done, is to not try and cast judgment, try and engage in dialogue and conversation and learn from the other side, learn from others who... You know, as you said, you know, vehemently, you know, viscerally may disagree, but being able to understand and talk through in a uh, respectful and a nurturing way to be able to learn from 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 somebody to whom our views may be uh, polarly different. Uh, Rabbi Linder, I thank you very much. Um, if people wanted to learn more about you, your congregation, and certainly your um, your podcast, how, how what is the best way for them to to learn about you? Now I feel bad for jumping in at the beginning of, with that. It's, it's, uh, it's, I'm an only child. I like to talk about me. I'm sorry. So uh, on Instagram and Twitter, I'm Geeky Rabbi at both of those. And then um, the podcast, again, is called Religion, R-E-A-L-I-G-I-O-N, Rabbi Eric Linder and Reverend Joel Tolbert. But if you look for Religion on your you know, podcast aggregator app of choice, uh, you should be able to find it. Um, but uh, it's such a pleasure to be with you and learn learn with you, Matt. I, um, one thing uh, Rabbi Durbin didn't say is we have a, through Camp Coleman, we also have a wonderful connection in that. Um, well, I guess I knew your wife before you did, right? So um, absolutely. his wife, uh, Rabbi Rose Durbin, um, was, she's a, just a few years younger than me, but in camp, you know, I was a counselor and she was a camper. And so uh, I knew uh, Matt's wonderful wife when she was about, I guess, 14 and I was 18. And uh, we've been friends for 30 years. And then through Rose, uh, we've been able to have this wonderful relationship, uh, all because of Jewish summer camp. Absolutely. But uniting, not dividing. It Amen. Is, um, you know, and, and, and as we wrap up our show today, just uh, again, my, my uh, you know, just, just my greatest, my greatest gratitude to you uh, for joining us. I know that through Camp Coleman and our interactions, uh, it started as a, uh, you know, once or twice a year conversation, uh, then moved to, you know, once every three months to now, um, you know, a couple times a day that we get the opportunity to speak, which has just been wonderful. Um, again, uh, I thank Rabbi Linder out of Athens, Georgia, for joining us this morning. Uh, and for our listeners, uh, keep listening, keep listening, keep uh, learning, keep being inspired, and we will pick you up next week on A Priest and a Rabbi. Mm-hmm.